the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Welcome to the sessions. How is everybody doing? What's going on? I'm really excited about this episode. I know I say that a lot coming into the show, uh, but this time I really mean it and I was lying on the other ones. Just kidding, just kidding. I love everybody. Um, Crushing it on the guest scene. But this one happens to be very near and dear to me because it is with the man, the myth, the legend. I would say he's my favorite wrestler that I'm not married to. Of course, John gets like the default being my husband. Uh, But this guy is the reason why I love professional wrestling. And uh, the fact that I've been able to admire his work from afar and be a fan But then to get to meet him and have a friendship with him, it's really cool to me. Those moments are certainly not lost on me. It's Dustin Rhodes, by the way. Dustin Rhodes is my guest today. Uh, To have a conversation like this with him where he is so unguarded, um, he's so honest, we get into a a lot of really heavy stuff. So just a, a little heads up, a little forewarning to you guys that we do get a little bit heavy and into some pretty serious topics here. But man, I can't thank Dustin enough for coming on. And I I always love that people trust me with these conversations and that they have a willingness to be open and to share this stuff. Um, Because I do think these conversations really help a lot of other people see these larger than life characters on television, these like tough guys, and to understand that they are human beings at the end of the day. And we all go through some crazy, crazy things. And that's what makes us human. Uh, And that perseverance is the thing that um, I just always find it so fascinating. And he's just such a a strong, badass dude. So let's get into it, guys. This is Dustin Rhodes. Wow, nothing like a bunch of tech issues before you're about to interview your favorite wrestler in the freaking world. I love starting things off stressed out. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Are you okay now? I'm okay now. Sometimes you just got to like take a deep breath. Me and technology, we just don't always go hand in hand. And we just like, we're trying to get a new mic set up, a new camera set up. We're trying to make things look nice and crispy and fresh here. And um, 
listen, today just wasn't our day, but me and you are going to have a hell of a hangout. And that's really all that matters as far as I'm concerned. That is all that matters. Yes, it's all good. Um, so what is going on in your life right now? How's your new puppy doing? I don't have a new puppy quite yet. Um, it's not old enough to bring home. When are you getting him? I think nine more weeks. His dad is uh, 230 pounds. He's going to be a big boy. You like those big, beefy dogs, huh? I do. They like to crawl on your lap and their elbows hurt really bad on your thighs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love them. I'm really sorry that you guys lost your dog recently. That's We lost both. You did like, lose them both. Three weeks of each other. Did one go because the other one wasn't there? Not to start off this interview as a total bummer, but I just know that that's something that just kind of happened for you. Well, cancer, you know, happens with the larger dogs like that a lot. They live a short, good life instead of a long, good life, right? So it's when you get a big dog, you have to go into that knowing that. Same thing with Danes and Rottweilers. Even Bulldogs. Bulldogs are like that big time, too. And John and I, sometimes we just like look at each other and we're like, don't even talk about it. Don't even think about it. Because like, oh, my gosh, it's just it's so upsetting. But you're right. They get to live great lives, even though they're not super long, but it can be hard. But I'm glad that you guys have that new one coming in like nine weeks. Do you have a name picked out already? I do. Beast. Beast. But he was born on my birthday, April, right? And I'm an Aries. So on his uh, AKC papers, it's going to read Aries, God of War. <laughs> Whoa. Damn. He's a really well-bred dog. We were on a wait list for a long time. Oh, I, I like that. Yeah, Blue's, Blue's like one of those like real fancy bulldogs too. And oh my God, I just, I can't get enough of that dog. He's just been on like a, an insane diet. He dropped some pounds. He's looking slim and trim. He's doing big jumps and like... It's like healthy, sweet boy now. When do we get to see him again? Um, gosh, I don't know. I guess depending. I don't know what your guys. Maybe Chicago. Hey, how? What are you going to be doing? Um, with the New Japan show for uh, Forbidden Door, are you going to be doing something there? I'm not sure yet. I'll probably be coaching though, for sure. How different is it for you? I mean, I know your most of your relationships with Japanese wrestling was through um through All Japan. How different is that working with New Japan? I think the All Japan is more traditional. They went more traditional American style. And the New Japan is more of the, you know, just move after move after move. A little different. New Japan, I really never, I've been over there a couple times for them. And I wrestled Muda over there. I think he was with New Japan at the time. But All Japan, man, I had a lot of fun with All Japan. It was great. Fight fans, take your best shot with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, new customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up using the promo code Renee to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Get up in there, make some money. You guys can choose from the money line and the method of victory and so much more. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. The app is so freaking easy to use. And when you win, you get paid real fast. And FanDuel Sportsbook has just launched in Ontario, Canada, my home province. Let's get after it. So to place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code Renee. That's R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming. First online real money wager only. 
Refund issued as knowledge travel site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. And visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia or 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. You have got to do so much stuff. Like as I was getting ready for this interview and like my wrestling relationship with you of like my fandom started with the gold dust character. That was like really a thing that like truly got me into wrestling. I thought that character was just incredible. I love the matches that you had. I love the creativity of all the things that you got to do. But as I'm prepping for this interview and going back through like the catalogs of all of the things that you've been able to do um, as Dustin Rose, as the natural, as the gold dust character, I mean, there's just so much you've been able to do. And looking at your career now, The fact that you are doing the things that you are doing and having the matches that you're having is crazy. Does it feel crazy to you? Like to just be able to still be going the way that you are and and to be able to have these matches and to have the younger talent, see guys like you and punk have matches to see the matches that you and Cody had. It feels completely different than the other place. I feel respected as a talent, respected as a great worker, respected as someone who is can teach, can lead, can do just about everything you know that's asked of him, and that sticks with me. And I don't want to let go of that. So it's very hard. So almost thirty-four years in the business, right? I'm fifty-three years old. That's no secret to to anybody. But my mind is is still saying, "Hey, let's do this." But my body's starting to say, "Stop this fucking shit." <laughs> I bet it takes me a lot longer to recover from just a match, but I work sporadically. And I think that prep time is is worse when you're working less times, right? Because you go out there and you perform at 100 miles an hour and you get back and then you go to bed and the next day and then the next day you start to hurt. So everything sinks in and it lasts right now, it lasts about a week and a week and a half for me. Do you wish that you were doing more matches so that your body wouldn't have as much time to recover? Or do you really need to take that time to have those more sporadic matches, have that downtime to recover, let your body heal, and then set it back up for for war again? I think I've wrestled just about everybody that, you know, you could possibly put me in the ring with. The one that I really just missed the boat on was Randy Savage, but just about everybody else I've worked with, man. And it's pretty impressive the people that I've worked with, the big names that I've worked with. Right now, for me to go like on a WWE schedule, you get callous, your body gets used to it again, right? So it might be again, but I have some, you know, my shoulders are pretty banged up and my knees are pretty banged up. So Tony lets me know a few days, you know, before we're going to do this or a week before. And it's like, so I get a little prep time you know, to kind of get in the zone for it and really work out and and do the right things that I need to do to be prepared for it, right? What do you attribute your longevity to? I mean, you look great. I don't know what it is that you're doing, but uh, you you look really great. And you're a man that's like aging like a fine wine. Uh, So what is it? 
I think where it all started was when I was having my issues with drugs and alcohol. Not to be a Debbie Downer or anything, but sometimes I like telling my story, right? I love getting into a story. I mean, that's what makes people interesting to me. I, I love, you know, people have their ups and their downs and they go through their shit. And I know you've been very open about yours and you've written about it and you've talked about it. You were actually the very first person uh, when all this stuff happened with John. You were the first person that messaged me. So I, I always greatly appreciate that. So I would love to hear more of your story. So years and years ago, I had an injury to my knee first time with Shawn Michaels, right? And this was like 96, I think. And I started taking, you know, asking for a couple of Vicodins, some opioids, right? And, you know, those took the edge off and I just kept working. You tape it up and you go, because back then we didn't have the, the doctors on call like we do now, right? And Vince one night, he saw me in the bathroom, popping a pill. And it was just me and him in the bathroom and I was painting my face. We had a conversation for about 30 minutes on why I should not do what I'm doing and get addicted to the things because he's seen it before and he's watched them come and go and die from him. He was really talking to me like a father figure. And I'm listening to him. I'm painting my face and I'm trying to respect what he's saying and all that. But I was going to do what I was going to do. So then that, too, led to 4, 10, 20, 50 and then you have like six stints with WWE because you're there's no accountability. I can work hard, give my best in the ring, right? And then all the other stuff that's going on in my life, it just takes over and the depression, the drugs. And that's all I want is to find my next fix, my next drink, my next eight ball of cocaine. And there's that downward spiral. Then you lose sight of you have a daughter that is 10 years old. And you're doing this. So you're not in her life for a few years, which when I talk about this and my daughter, it always, always breaks me up. And it's really tough to know that, you know, you're so encompassed into taking drugs and alcohol and stealing from your parents just to find your drugs, right? I had three doctors. I had two pill ladies. I had a house paid for on acreage. I lost it all. I pawned everything that I had. And at the very, very end in like 2008, I lived in a connected garage, one stall garage to somebody's house that I was renting out for a hundred bucks a month. I had a little bitty Honda Civic car, still trying to find things to pawn, still trying to sell things and try to, you know, steal from my dad. Hey, I need this for a bill or whatever. That's what I mean by stealing. They would send me some money, right? And that would go straight to the pills or straight to alcohol or straight to cocaine. And in 2008, I was really at the worst, right? It was a good two years of really solid, not giving a fuck about anything or anybody. Wanting to die, wanting to not feel anymore, wanting to not be around anybody anymore. I had my wife and she was with me. She wasn't an alcoholic. She wasn't a drug addict. She stuck with me, right? And she stayed beside me the whole time. And the last two years, I didn't go anywhere. You know, I didn't want to do anything. And I was up to 80 pills a day. For the last couple of years, I was up to a half a gallon of vodka every single day and an eight ball of cocaine every three days. So that's what I was taking. So the straw that kind of broke or whatever was uh, I was laying in bed. And I was really drunk and I didn't get drunk. 
okay, so something was wrong. Taking so many pills or whatever, and I was so dizzy, it wouldn't stop. The next day, same thing, try to drink, try to take pills, more stuff to kick you out of it. Nothing happened. The third day, I remember my wife, like, get up in the middle of the night. So I would take all the Vicodins and stuff and Lortabs during the day, cocaine, vodka, nonstop, and then take Xanax to come down at nighttime. They'll kill you. I was up to like eight or 10 of those, the big ones. I would wake up in the middle of the night and she would look at me and I would pop two more thinking I can't sleep when I was just asleep. So the third day of that little downward rock bottom, I guess, divine intervention or something. It was three in the morning, raining outside. My dad had given me a prepaid cell phone. So I had a cell phone. It was a flip phone, but it was like, whatever. I didn't use the internet. I didn't use anything like that. So I woke up and Terrell was laying next to me and I say, I've had enough. And I wanted to go call my dad. So I'm really fucked up and she's trying to help me outside because there's no cell service and I have to crawl up on a hill to get one bar. And I crawled up on the hill in the mud and the rain and she's helping me and I'm stumbling and I'm crying. And I just told him, I said, um, I want you to call WWE and get me into rehab. Not that day, but the next day they got me a flight to Fort Lauderdale or West Palm. And they were really worried that I wouldn't get on the plane. I'd made my mind up, but I understand why they were worrying. I got on my first flight, loaded up, got on the, you know, the, the layover in Atlanta, loaded up and down to West Palm, pretty shit faced. And the guy picked me up in the car service or whatever. And I was like, stop at the store, I'm going to get a 12 pack. So stopped at the store, I got a 12 pack, I drank about six before we got to the, the place. And I don't remember anything else. I had eight days of medical induced detox. But I was pretty out of it the whole eight days. It was, I don't remember like going through serious withdrawals or shakes or whatever. I just remember at the two-week point, I couldn't sleep. Two weeks in, three weeks in, you see for the first time in a long time. And your parents come visit, your wife. Everybody knew you were so fucked up, but you didn't know what kind of pain it caused them. Certainly didn't know what kind of pain it was causing me. We don't know when we're too far gone. There's no, hey man, I can do this. I can do this myself. It is impossible. But it only works when you're ready. I was ready. So I made the decision once they got me pretty cleaned out and I started seeing some things for the first time, right? In a long time, made the decision to like stick to it and there were several things that had to happen for me to stick to this. And that was number one, I had to take care of my recovery first before my daughter, before work, before anything. So, of course, I'm automatically going, hey, man, I need to do this with my daughter. I need to do that. I need to find a job now. I need to do this. I'm clean, whatever. I'm not. Not there yet. It takes a long time. So for two years straight, I went to AA meetings. And I missed maybe a handful over the two years. And that's what did it for me. When you sit in these rooms, right, and you're scared to share, you don't want to say anything. But then you see somebody that is fresh, fresh, right out of, you know, a three-day detox. And they're fucked up still. And then you got people in there with 23 years of experience or 30 years of experience. And they're like the leaders or whatever. But it's like, you see this person fucked up. And it's like, damn, I was that bad. I was like that not too long ago, right? So 
Dakota's mom would call me and say, you need to come get Dakota. And I would just tell her, no, I can't. I have to do this first. I have to take care of myself. It takes some time. You make amends to all the people that you've harmed. And I think I've done most of them, I think, uh, over the years. Me and Dakota are closer than ever. And, you know, that's all I can do is say I'm sorry to her, right? It took me about a year before I could be around somebody drinking. And it still happens today. If somebody says the word cocaine, I smell it. I don't want it, though. I don't want opiates, alcohol, none of that shit. So it doesn't bother me now. And now I'm coming up on 14 years. It's a long time, but it's still one day at a time, right? And from that moment, that changed for me with my body. And it changed my mindset of, okay, I have a lot of catching up to do, and that's okay. I've lost a lot, but now I'm going to gain it back and work hard for it. And from when my dad saw me in um, rehab, the first time he said, keep stepping. And every day he would call me and we would talk a little bit, right? The end of the conversation would always be keep stepping. So that's kind of what I live. It's been a long journey to get back to where I need to be. And am I there yet? I don't know. But I think I'm pretty blessed with things that I have accomplished over the last 14 years since then. A huge comeback have lost all that weight, have got into shape, and have stayed in shape to the best of my ability, right? There are off days that I have, but it's like, fuck, I feel fat today. How did you lose all of that weight? Like, what was that process like for you? I mean, I mean, even just like, I mean, I can always, you know, use John as the example for this, just in terms of like, when people post that photo of him, like right before he went to rehab to like right when he came back, and it's like, holy shit night and day. And you don't really realize it when you're in it, that you're puffy and your eating habits, you know, coincide with that. All of those things that just cutting out the alcohol makes a massive difference. But what else did you do for the weight loss? When you have an addictive personality, one addiction replaces, you know, the old addictions, right? So my, my new addiction was going to the gym. Did I know anything about it? No, never really went to the gym. I just started going every day. And just kind of kept with it and just kept saying to myself, I'm going to get better. And I started doing the elliptical. And that's probably the easiest thing that I can do on my knees. But that kept me going a little bit. And if I do that and keep doing that, and then I got a personal trainer, started working with her, and she's started building my body to where it's the best it's ever been for me. Through injuries, too, and it sucks. Certain things I can't do that I have to modify. But... I'm much better off than where I used to be body-wise and, and how I moved around because it's really, it's hard when you're heavier. And, you know, when I got thinner, I started doing this like couple of spots in the ring that were really fast. And I did them for a reason. I did it for the fans to go, holy shit, this motherfucker is 53 years old and can move that fast. I tried to do a really, my, my usual fast spot with punk. And I could tell I was a step off. So I've got to start thinking of how I can, I don't know, change some things up. What do you attribute the depression side of things to when you're talking about the drinking the vodka, the Mountain Dew, eating the pizza and just like in that like depression, like succubus? What, what do you think that was about? Do you know what a succubus is? Or wait, a succubus is like a, a like female. That was not the right word. <laughs> but that's. 
hey, it sounded really good. I know what you meant. As soon as I said it, I was like, that's not the right word, but it sounds like it could, it sounds like the thing that I was trying to say, but it's not the right word. A succubus is like a, it's like an evil woman, isn't it? It's a female that sucks your soul. Maybe not that kind of thing, but still that dark kind of hole. I think early on when, when I was growing up, dad left. My mom raised me, right? Me and my sister, Kristen, we saw dad twice a year, if that. Christmas time, summer. In the meantime, my mom is working two or three jobs trying to, you know, keep us fed. And uh, it wasn't an easy upbringing. It was difficult for her. And of course, her kids are going to make it more difficult on her, right? She married a couple of really bad husbands. And me and my sister were privy to a lot of physical abuse. And we're, you know, we're just young. We're in the hall, you know, I'm just got my arm around my little sister and we're just cradled there. And we're just trying to hope mom doesn't die. And went through a couple of, uh, you know, husbands that were like that. Both of them were. So that kind of, I guess, does something to kids, you know? The upbringing was um, very depressing. Yeah, childhood stuff is just like that. Just there's no way to just shake that stuff off. And as much as you can like move on and you become an adult and you feel like you're not that kid anymore, that stuff just sticks around no matter what. Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download 3 and Out with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. What is your, I guess, feelings and like relationship that other people have with your dad, whether it's fans, whether it's peers. I mean, he was somebody that just obviously, you know, he's Dusty Rhodes. Everybody loves Dusty Rhodes. Um, but what is what is like your reaction to, to the people that love him and the people that got to work with him and spent time with him, especially, you know, especially a lot of the talent that came up through NXT that he really helped shape a lot of those people's careers. When he was home, he never talked to business ever. He left it at the office, right? So we got him at home fully, whether he was tired or not, and sit down and watch baseball or watch a Western movie with him. Um, that's what we did, right? We'd go out to eat, stuff like that, and just have normal conversations. When he left to go to work, and when I first started seeing it, when I worked for him, it's very different, very professional, something I haven't like dealt with yet in life, right? And he was telling me, you need to do this, you need to do that. And even when something's really good, you still want it from your father that you did an awesome job, right? And he was still saying, well, I've done this, I would have done that early on. And then as we got later and into like the NXT days you're talking about with dad and him helping and mentoring and coaching and doing all the, the wonderful things, people grow. And I watched him grow early in the business and being in control of things, stepping away, going to work for another man, right, and Vince, and taking something that was given him as who knows if it was a rib or not with the polka dots. So he took that, right, and he did the very best he could because that time it was financial 
and then he goes on from there and he does great things. And then I come into the picture and we start working together and we get to, t- I get to tag with him at WCW. I get to tag with him a couple more places, right? It's really cool that I got to work in the ring with my dad against like flair. Or, and it was so cool. So 80s stuff for me was really yeah. the best stuff. And then you grow, watched him grow into the dusty stuff with, with the polka dots and then the stuff with me and Cody and, you know, um, back together again, all three of us, and then him NXT and kind of finishing out there and watching, you know, and going to several of his promo classes with like Charlotte and all, you know, Sasha and all the girls there, young, right? Very passionate and hungry for the business. And he would get up there and he would preach his thing, man. He would talk like Dusty Talks and everybody loved him. It was a pretty special thing to see. He touched everybody. I mean, my moments of being able to to work and watch him and I used to sit behind him in all the production meetings and just to like see his brain work, to see his relationships with everybody else that was working there. I mean, you think of all the people in those production meetings from Hunter to Michael Hayes, Shawn Michaels being in there, you know, just being able to see those relationships and to see your dad and the way that he was able to help shape so many of like the huge stars today. It's, it's so impressive to see. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's just the relationships that I come back to that um, everyone loved him. Another thing that I saw from dad was uh, he never had a crossword for like anybody in the business, man. I mean, he never, and I have a bad habit about that, right? I've gotten a bad habit about saying things that I don't need to say just to myself or to my wife, right? But it's still like, I'm at home. I don't need to say or think these things. He was really a good man. And he did things right there at the end, the best that he possibly could. And you could see it. And that's why all the kids talk about him today, right? Because they got that firsthand. They got the best probably the best dusty version of his life. What do you think your dad would have thought of Cody's promo on Monday night raw when he showed back up on, you know, I I knew dad always wanted us to be happy and he would have his suggestions and things like that. And, you know, try to lead us in the right way. But ultimately these are our, our decisions, right? And money's money. And dad would always say, take the money. Always say, take the money. And I know just me watching it in his first promo and seeing dad up there, you know, on the screen and talking about him. And, and Cody's very, very passionate about his promos, about every single word that he's going to say, which is very important, right? And especially for that first one, which was very important. You're making a huge impact on a lot of people. First time you've been back in years. And he did. And um, I know dad would be happy. He's sitting in the rafters. That's where I pictured him when me and Cody wrestled a double or nothing, right? And I've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years. Having an opportunity to work with my brother and not knowing what to expect with AEW audience. Had no idea if I was going to get any reaction at all. And just the fact that we went out there and I got a reaction. And the match was like, just for me and him, perfect. It was a long time coming that we weren't allowed in WWE to do. 
stardust, not gold dust, you know. I mean, just serious brother versus brother. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do as you look at all the brother versus brothers. There's nothing good to come from them, right? I'll never do it again. I'll never wrestle him again. It did a lot to me that night. When WWE, right, when I left there, I was kind of like, oh, God, what do I do? But I was tired. And I lost my passion. And that night I recaptured it. And it was a very special night, probably one, probably the, the most special night I've had so far in the business. Um, it's just the stars aligned and everything was perfect for it. It was story driven. It was compelling. It's everything you possibly want from an audience to enjoy and all the emotions, crying, happy. Bleeding everywhere. Well, that was a little excessive that night. <laughs> a little bit. Um, what was... Uh... Not, I don't have to ask the conversations you guys have, but I guess just like your reaction to Cody going back to a WWE after what he had been able to create at AEW. I was happy for him, but I was also, you know, I missed him already and I miss him um, being there, but I know he's, he's young and, you know, let's go, go do your thing. So I'm very happy for him. And I'm like, Hey man, the more power to you, go get that title and win it all and do your stuff. I don't have that much time left here with you, but there's a few things I still really want to talk to you about. Um, and one of them, of course, has to be the gold dust character. The reason why I love professional wrestling is because of the gold dust character. What is uh, what are your feelings about the gold dust character? Gold dust character over years has come a long way um, and has grown to be loved and adorned by fans all over. And I couldn't be a heel anymore. But it's very hard at the beginning. Vince gave me full reins with it. You know, he would pipe in his suggestions. He was very hands-on. He was like my acting coach to bring this voice to fruition, to bring this certain rub that I do or whatever it is, just being there constantly and directing me and said, you got this one better. I know you can do this. And he, he would tell me how to do it. And I would do it and say, yes, that's good. That's good. And so I kind of learned, okay, this is the way he likes it. So Let's see how it does with the crowd and things like that. And for the first six months, man, Goldust was really tough because he's a heel, number one, which I hadn't been. And he's a character. And he's a very far away character from anything that I do in life. Why do you think Vince thought that you were the perfect person to do this Goldust character? Because, yeah, you are very far off of this Goldust character. I wonder why he thought that you were the guy to pull this off. So looking at it right now and laughing at it because it, it could have been a rip. But I do have one thing to say about like when me and dad wrestled Ted DiBiase and Virgil in 1990, that was my first WWF experience, right? And the Royal Rumble. That night, dad left to Florida and I talked to dad. I said, can I ask for my release too? We're under really contracts back then. It was different back then, right? So I went to ask him, and he said, of course, yes, you can. And then he grabbed dad aside and dad told me this years later. And he said, you take him now, but I'm going to bring him back and make him a star. So there's little things that, okay, could this be a rib or is it a serious thing? And he sees something in this character. I don't know. But it took me a long time to figure that shit out. And Sabio Vega was the one who coaxed it out of me with the rubbing on his body and shit. And that shit worked like that. <laughs> yeah. How do you think 
the gold dust character would work today? I mean, I know it wasn't even all that long ago that you still were wrestling as gold dust, um, but to bring a character like that into professional wrestling now. It absolutely would not work. The way Goldust was portrayed back in the 90s, right? He was very androgynous. We would never say the word gay. I don't think it would work because those things back then were like way, way ahead of its time. They got lots of letters, lots of letters saying that they weren't going to let their kids watch this shit anymore. You know, moms are upset, but the ratings kept getting bigger and better. So we were doing something right, but it was just very pushing the envelope as far as you could possibly do it, stepping over that line. And today, trying to do something like that, no. It is very accepted to do this right now. So if I did that today, they would protect me like crazy. Of course, you have your few conservative people out there that just, you know, look down on shit like that. And it's like they're they're never going to change. There's no progression at all in their lives. They're stuck in the Stone Age. And it's like, it's 2022. No, it would not work today. No, I agree. I think I think most would have to agree with that. But at the time, it was just so ahead of its time. The character was incredible. I mean, I was actually just rewatching back the uh, Hollywood backlot brawl this afternoon as we were getting ready uh, for this interview because that is my favorite wrestling match of all time. I love the Hollywood backlot brawl. We both went to the hospital that night. What time? Oh my god! Yes, he broke his hand. Vince didn't want me to get any juice. I love juice. I'm a Rhodes. So I talked to Roddy into busting me open the hard way. You'd think a fucking vet of the business would know how to bust somebody open. He just hit me flat fisted in the top of the head twice and he broke his hand. Watch the second shot to my hand. You can hear it pop. I promise. Oh, God. What did you have to go to the hospital for? What injuries did you have? Concussion. He hit me so hard, my brain just rattled, right? Speaking of great matches, let's talk this punk match that you guys just had and why that was, it was just, it felt like a very important match. And you guys got to slow things down and do things your way, which is, you know, as wrestling continues to progress and change, we don't see a lot of matches like that anymore. So what was that match like for you guys? And then I guess like, what was the reaction to everybody backstage after watching you? I was talking to Tony about it, and I was like, I will not do this unless it's 20 minutes or over. Let me tell a story. He's always been a dream match of mine to have. He's one of those bucket list things that, oh, man, I never got to work CM Punk. I've tagged with him. You know, I've been in the ring with him with WWE and stuff like that. But, man, he was a world champion. He's He was a top dog. You know, I've always wanted to be in there and see what he is capable of doing wrestling-wise. You know, you get to the the day of and we're talking and we're making it really simple because the less is more. And my big thing, I told him, I said, look, I don't care about all these moves that we're going to do, right? Or whatever. I just want to make the people feel something. So we did that. And he sold an arm and I sold a leg. Babyface versus babyface. You're selling. He's selling. It gets a little heated. We start slapping each other, you know, and then it's not really a... He's the heel or I'm a heel. It's just two guys slugging it out, having a pro wrestling match, right? You're looking around in the arena and you start seeing them standing up at certain times. And it's a build, right? It's all part of a story. And I love to tell stories. And that night, knowing that I could do that with CM Punk and did it, I knew for a fact that in 2022, you can still go out there and have a pro wrestling match without doing a whole bunch of bullshit. 
just feeling off of him, feeling off the crowd, fighting back, selling, throwing something in on the fly, right? Instead of just talking all afternoon about spot after spot after spot, feeling, which is what a lot of the youth today are missing. So that leads me to my next uh, topic that I just wanted to get into you with was, uh, yeah, all these different styles that are changing. And, you know, we can talk about what your dad did at NXT and how he really helped nurture that next huge group of talent. But you are somebody that really does a lot of work with a lot of the younger talent, especially on the female side of things. You work with a lot of the uh, the female wrestlers. Why do you gravitate towards that? And what are the what are some of the conversations that you're having with some of those women? I know you've got a pretty special relationship with Thunder Rosa. I've seen you guys having some some great conversations in the back and whatnot. But yeah, why why is it the women's wrestling? Women sometimes get the shit under the stick. Yeah, we do. I like the challenge. I like to teach. I hold a class with them every week, not because I have to, but because I want to. They get in there, I loosen them up, I start teaching, and they start learning, and they're getting comfortable with each other. That's what it's about to me. Then it transcends into they're coming up to me and um, confiding in me and things like that, and you become like more of a mentor, the women specifically. And, you know, the guys too, like Will Hobbs, I've really been working with him. Love some Will Hobbs. And Will is really good, and he, he respects everything that I say and listens, you know, and he, he's very coachable. A lot of them are coachable. And a lot of them are not coachable, right? It's who wants it. And they come up to me. I talk to them. And that's what I was saying earlier about me feeling respected here. It's a good feeling. It's great. I love it. That's the payoff for me. I feel like people really respected you in WWE as, as far as like your peers and stuff went. I feel like everybody loved you because you had a really great relationship. I mean, you worked with Rhonda a lot at WWE as well, too, when she was kind of getting her foot uh, in the door there. But I feel like you, you still had quite a bit of respect from everybody there as well. Well, maybe it was just a hidden respect that I didn't hear a lot. And people with depression and people with second guessing everything in life go down that path of, oh, I'm not appreciated. And then you just take your place to a place you don't need to be in. It has shown itself, right? It has shown itself as being, everybody's really saying they fucking respect and they're showing it and they're allowing me to actually train someone or coach someone in the right direction and them going out and doing it. That is not about the money to me. I do that because I like to teach now, right? For some reason in that last three years, I've just loved to start teaching. When they do something that I've taught them, and they put it in their own little character style or whatever, that's the payoff. And it says a lot too about being able to take the time at TVs when you're on the road to take that time with whoever it is that's going to show up and, you know, be under the, the learning tree of Dustin Rhodes. But yeah, the fact that you have your own wrestling school now as well, and you're still bringing in more people and going through more talent and teaching them the things that you have been through, the things that you've learned. It's, it's really, yeah, it's cool to see. I kind of want to do it. <laughs> Let me come hang out. Would you? I would love to. Cool. I'm in my fifth camp. How long do the camps run? So we do three a year, 12 weeks each camp, and I'll take a month off in between because I need it. RhodesWrestlingAcademy.com can give you all the information you need or message on Facebook or Instagram. We'll get back to you. 
Hell yes. Well, Dustin, listen, I could hang out here with you all day, but I will let you get you back to, uh, to your life. It's been fun just being able to like hang out with you and chat and have a good conversation. Appreciate you. I love you, Renee. You're the best. I love you, dude. And I, I really do appreciate you being so open and honest, uh, you know, about the addiction stuff. I know that's something that, you know, obviously a lot of people struggle with that stuff and a lot of people go through that and it can rear its fucking ugly head. Um, but I think being able to have those conversations and talk about that stuff can really help a lot of other people. Yeah, I do too. All right. Well, go uh, smooch your wife and we'll wait for that sweet little puppy to show up. And I can't wait to see pictures of sweet beast. Yeah. Go punch John in the gut for me. A big thank you to Dustin for hanging out with me. My guy, uh, what a great conversation. Um, And so just so many things to be able to get in with him. He had the floor. The floor was his. He got to tell his story and to really get into some of those moments in his life that, that make Dustin, Dustin. So thank you guys for hanging out and listening. This will be up on my YouTube uh, very shortly. So you'll be able to see that interview there if that is something that you uh, you want to get your eyes on. But thank you guys for hanging out. I appreciate all the support. I appreciate you guys uh, enjoying the podcast, tweeting me about things and uh, just sharing these conversations. Because like I said at the beginning, these conversations are really, really, really important. So keep sharing them. Spread the good word. Um, and I will be back again on Thursday with another episode with another hero from All Elite Wrestling and one William Regal, the head of the Blackpool Combat Club. So keep your eyes and ears open for that one. I'll see you guys next time. This has been The Sessions.